Pushkin. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is Solvable. I'm Ronald Young Jr. If you're anything like me, as you get older, you begin to think about your general health and wellness. Being more active. My blood pressure. My cholesterol. Trying to eat more vegetables making the appointment for my annual physical. But even if I take the time to tend to my lifestyle choices and overall health, some preventative care measures may still slip through the cracks just because I don't know all the questions to ask. Patients are going into their doctor asking to get their cholesterol checked. I mean, how many people do you know that go into their doctor and say, "Uh, can I have my kidneys checked? I certainly don't think about my kidneys on a regular basis, but one in seven adults has chronic kidney disease or CKD. And because it's asymptomatic in the early stages, 90% of people with the disease have no idea they've got it. And today we're faced with a situation where a wonderful policy has created an incentive where we put a lot of resources in the end stage of a disease and nothing on prevention. For end-stage renal disease, also known as kidney failure, patients are often treated with dialysis. It's a very time-consuming and exhaustive treatment that can save lives, but can also be extremely disruptive. Dr. Carmen Peralta co-founded the Kidney Health Research Collaborative at the University of California, San Francisco, to change all that. Some of the first obstacles were information, really understanding the epidemiology of disease, what populations are affected, what are the risk factors for disease, why it happens. Dr. Peralta is also the chief medical officer at Cricket Health, a for-profit company that specializes in helping people with kidney disease by supporting early detection programs and providing risk assessments. A big, important, gigantic reason to detect the disease early. The earlier you detect it, the more chances you have to prevent it from progressing. Nearly 37 million Americans live with chronic kidney disease. Getting an early diagnosis could improve the quality of life for many and even prevent the necessity of end-stage treatment. Chronic kidney disease is solvable. How did you get interested in kidneys specifically? My grandfather, who I never met, was a physician. And uh, so I grew up in, uh, in Barranquilla, Colombia. 
And he was one of those physicians that would just do anything for his patients. And my mother always talked about him and and the way people loved him and all the things that he did. And so that was an inspiration. Uh, My uncle was also a doctor. And I love the physiology of the kidney. I mean, when you probably talk to people about kidneys, they think, oh, they filter your blood, which is true. But the kidney has a ton of other functions, regulating the water content in your body, blood pressure, helping make red blood cells and all these things. And I found it to be absolutely fascinating. And I was struck by several things that that happened during my training. One was meeting patients that would arrive in an emergency room just sort of saying that they didn't feel well or maybe they were swollen or they were having trouble breathing. And then they were diagnosed with kidney failure, what we call end-stage renal disease or end-stage kidney disease, Mm -hmm. and told that they needed dialysis. I also was struck by the reports that we were having in those times. And remember, this is the early 1990s, thinking about the race disparities and socioeconomic disparities that we saw in the disease. Mm -hmm. And that truly marked me because I was thinking, why is this disease devastating these communities in this way? And why are people showing up at the very end stage of a disease? How has the treatment for kidney disease changed over the years? Has the medical establishment shifted the way it responds to the disease as the number of cases in the U.S. has grown? A lot of people don't know this. So in 1965, we had the Medicare Medicaid Act, right, that Mm -hmm. now allowed us to provide care for seniors and persons with disabilities or low income, right? And one of the things people don't realize is that in 1972, there was an amendment that uh, was done to the Medicare where people with end-stage kidney failure would qualify for services through Medicare regardless of age. And the reason is because right around in the 60s and late 60s, the technology both for the dialysis machine and what we call vascular access, which means the way that we can access the blood to clean it, had improved in a way that allowed people to get dialysis in a chronic fashion. So it became Mm -hmm. a life-saving treatment, but it was really expensive and only very, very few people could actually get the treatment. And in order to reduce those disparities and make it available to every American, there was a decision to cover the service. But at the time, the projections were that maybe there would be a couple, you know, maybe 20, 30,000 people on dialysis, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. it would cost uh, a billion dollars or something of the sort. And today we're faced with a situation where a wonderful policy has created an incentive where we put a lot of resources in the end stage of a disease and nothing on prevention. We couldn't have anticipated that now we have over a, a half a million persons undergoing dialysis treatment in the U.S. And so it's incredibly expensive, causes a lot of suffering. And naively, you know, as a trainee and thinking that that I could solve it, I thought it's so easy. All we need to do is test people uh, who, who have risk factors for the kidney disease, detect the disease early so we can manage it early, educate people and physicians, put in all the management strategies, and then this won't happen. I thought this is solvable because what we need is to invest in the early stages. Little mm-hmm. did I know then that there were so many questions to be answered. Can you give me some examples? Meaning what test should we order? Who should we test? What populations? Understanding why the race ethnic differences that we see in outcomes where people who self-identify as African-Americans have on the order of 2.7 times more likely to start dialysis than compared to white persons, for example. Hispanics about 1.3 times. Mm -hmm. So I was very curious to understand those because if you don't know the causes of those things, then you can't solve them. So what happens at Cricket Health? How do you address these problems? 
So at Cricket Health, we partner with payers and health systems to care for people with kidney disease. We then use laboratory data or algorithms to identify persons who might be at risk for having kidney disease or who we know have kidney disease. So we provide a multidisciplinary care team that includes nurse, social worker, dietitian, pharmacist, uh, care navigator, and a peer mentor. This is another patient that has gone through the journey of kidney disease that I can actually help someone that's just starting. And then what we do is we essentially, number one, put in evidence-based measures to slow the progression of disease. For those who we can't, despite the best of our abilities, um, we prepare them and give them a lot of education around both kidneys, how to keep the kidney healthy, but also what potential therapies they could use to treat their kidney disease, whether it's a transplantation, dialysis, or medical management without dialysis. We then work with the uh, patient doctors, and we are the eyes and ears in between appointments for the providers. They don't have the time to see people as often as they need care. And so we are the service that is there to be uh, able to give this entire support through the kidney journey. You're saying that we are being more reactive than proactive and your efforts to do early testing are more proactive efforts. What happens after catching it early? We're not putting people on dialysis necessarily early, but I'm assuming that there are treatments for people who do detect chronic kidney disease as early as possible. Absolutely. One thing to know is that typically kidney disease doesn't really have a lot of symptoms until it's very advanced. And also mm -hmm. the symptoms tend to be not very specific, meaning it's just maybe tired, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little bit of swollen legs uh, or, or difficulty breathing. The only way to know that something might be going on with the kidneys is to test the blood or the urine. In the United States, it's high blood pressure and diabetes are the typical factors that are associated with kidney disease. And so um, the mainstay of the treatment is controlling the typical risk factors. You lose weight, stop smoking, kind of the typical things to keep health. In addition, there are certain medications that are crucially important to consider in patients with kidney disease. Classes of medications that have been on the market for decades called ACE inhibitor or angiotensin converting inhibitor block. So ACE or ARBs, those are the pills that people might recognize that are also used for blood pressure treatment. So those have mm -hmm. shown to uh, potentially reduce the progression of kidney disease and reduce some of the complications. The other thing that we have to think about is even as people are progressing, and let's say that, okay, no matter what you do, we do everything perfectly. You know, you take every right pill, you do all the right treatments, everything is perfect. But some people will progress. And the truth is that sometimes we don't know why, despite our mm -hmm. best treatments. Still, the best treatments for kidney failure is a transplant. And so a big, important, gigantic reason to detect the disease early the earlier you detect it, the more chances you have to prevent it from progressing. Mm -hmm. But also, it gives an opportunity for you to actually be in control and have the possibility of having a transplant before you mm -hmm. even need dialysis. So that's another reason rather than waiting until somebody needs dialysis. When you're trying to do preventative care, trying to do early detection, what types of obstacles do you run into when you're trying to implement those plans? Some of the first obstacles were information, really understanding the epidemiology of disease, mm -hmm. what populations are affected, what are the risk factors for disease, why it happens. There's also a lot of research going on really around just how kidney disease happens, like at the tissue level, at the molecular level, at the mechanistic level of really understanding that in order to develop new targets. 
Then the next implementation, which I worked on, is to say, okay, now we need to educate the patient about kidney health, and we also need to educate primary providers. And when you think about it, in the United States, primary care providers are very busy and they have to deal with many things, you know, and sometimes they have a list that is so long of the things that they have to address for a patient. The patient might have a different list. Mm -hmm. A primary care provider might say, oh, we're going to talk about your blood pressure and your diabetes, but the patient wants to talk about their headache. Now you're adding another disease that they have to worry about. Mm -hmm. So a big part of it has been, how do we then provide tools so that we can help the primary care provider be efficient and actually um, understand how to test for kidney disease, flag when a patient has kidney disease. So we did a couple of projects where we did that, where we actually tested some tools to improve recognition of kidney disease early with the hope that then the management would improve. How do you reconcile the work that you're doing being very specific about kidneys, but also probably being something that could be applied universally when it comes to healthcare? Do you ever struggle with kind of the existential nature of saying like, hey, you know, I'm trying to fix these uh, kidneys, but this is probably something that needs to be applied probably to hearts, probably to, to you know, uh, all kinds of other transplants as well when we're talking about prevention versus uh, reactive treatment? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> what I can tell you is I would love to just change the world, right, uh, for everybody. <laughs> I think that the thing that grabs me about kidney disease is that it is so stark how much we invest at the end of the disease compared to others. Now, I'm not saying there's not a lot that we need to do in diabetes and heart disease and high cholesterol and all of these kinds of things. But when you think about it, in, let's say, for example, heart disease, there's a lot more knowledge out there and primary care providers are more aware. Patients are going into their doctor asking to get their cholesterol checked. I mean, how many people do you know that go into their doctor and say, oh, can I have my kidneys checked? Right. And so I think um, we've done a little bit better in the healthcare system to talk about prevention when it comes to kidney health. Uh, there's actually an executive order that was signed a couple of years ago under the Trump administration. And in fact, they are testing specifically models that promote early detection of disease management early because they're realizing that the cost of just putting all the efforts at the end of the disease costs a lot of money and cause a lot of suffering. So we are seeing a little bit of a move. What I hope is that when we move to paying for value and good outcomes is that this actually does that for all chronic diseases. And I think we're seeing some of that shift in other chronic diseases as well. Is testing expensive? No, um, it's actually quite cheap. So if you just do, you know, the blood and the urine test uh, can be pretty cheap. Why wouldn't this just be a posture that doctors more widely take to say, hey, why don't we just test this to make sure you're good? Yeah. Like, why is it included in the physical? Yeah. So the funny thing is that uh, the blood test is often included in the physical, but typically the urine is not tested. It's just the blood and you need really both tests. I think it's a couple of things. One is lack of education, both for patients and providers. I think it's um, inaccurate perception by providers that if you find kidney disease early, that there's nothing to do. And I think I've already hopefully convinced people that there is a lot to do. And number three, again, is just not having the time, right, to deal with so many of the issues that our primary care providers have to deal with. And frankly, like a lack of support, you know, the job of a specialist is actually to support the primary care community in handling 
all the competing, you know, diseases that they have to that they have to handle. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisions History. In my book, David and Goliath, I tried to figure out how some people find the strength to take on the established way of thinking and turn it upside down. What does it take to be a disruptor? And I concluded that a disruptor is someone with a rare combination of three traits— First, you have to be open. You have to be willing to see and do things in new ways. Secondly, you have to be conscientious, to follow through and make things happen. Those two are obvious, but the third one is the crucial one. You have to be willing to do what you think is right, even when everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. There isn't a brilliant innovator in history who wasn't surrounded by naysayers. Most of us can't take that kind of criticism, and we fold. But the disruptor doesn't. They soldier on. I've been looking at disruptors and their success stories a lot lately, partly because I'm working on a follow-up to the tipping point, and market disruption plays a key role in how ideas take off, but also because I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business. It's an event where customers are recognized for kicking convention to the curb to elevate their company, while also doing meaningful things for their community and even the world. In fact, I'll be presenting the first ever Tipping Point designation, a new special distinction honoring one entrant that sparked transformative change for their organization. If this event sounds like your thing, I encourage you to find out more or even enter the unconventional awards to be recognized for your disruptive thinking. Win a donation to a charity of your choice and much more. You can enter before July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Dr. Peralta, is there a way in which we perpetuate the brokenness of the American healthcare system? And when I say that, I guess I'm asking, in whose interest is it to work from the reactive stance rather than the proactive stance? Well, I think if you think about it, the healthcare system in America rewards for procedures, for for visits, for volume. So the more patients you see, the more procedures that you do, the more money uh, a system will make, right? And that is what we call, quote unquote, fee for service, which means that you get paid a fee for a service that you do. But we are seeing a transformation into what we call value-based care, which is actually let's pay for keeping people healthy, for p- keeping people out of the hospital. And let's say five to 10 years, what does this look like? Or do you have a timeline for when you say, hey, you know what? We've done it. Solved. We're good. Yeah. Well, I'm ready to change the world today, right? So uh, <laughs> I wish I could tell you that in five years from now, we have touched hundreds of thousands of lives and that barely any of these people are on dialysis, that the majority are at home, the majority have gotten a transplant. 
and that people are living a full life even with kidney disease. So I am still part of, of UCSF in a smaller capacity, um, but being the chief medical officer of cricket has really allowed me to take everything from my clinical experience, from what I know, from what we know about the disease and implement it and actually make it a viable and incredibly successful program that we are implementing nationwide. And so to me, this is an accelerator and the final part is, again, a value-based program where we are rewarded for keeping people healthy. Do you guys take insurance? Yeah, we, we work with insurance companies, health systems, and so forth, yeah. Do you ever have concern that being a part of a for-profit company with, albeit an altruistic mission, that you'll ever be beholden to the bottom line, to stakeholders, to the shareholders, to the folks that really you know need the business to make money, even if that runs askew of the mission? I mean, there's always going to be, you know, a business that you're building. But the one thing about Cricket Health that makes me very proud is that we are changing the way even that reimbursement happens. So pretty much everything that we are doing is value-based. Once you change the incentive, then uh, it's a whole different way that you're thinking about how you're going to build your business. And so that's really what we're trying to do. What can listeners do if they're interested in learning more about chronic kidney disease or even the research that you're doing or if they want to get involved? What can listeners do? First of all, get informed. The CDC has an incredible website that talks about kidney disease. I would say, you know, talk to your family members and community because when you talk about it, you'll discover that there's more people you know that have kidney disease than you ever imagined. You know, the other thing is talk to your doctor, talk and say, okay, should I be tested? And then what will we do about it? I think that's important. I think people should also, if they have loved ones who are affected with kidney disease, should learn about transplantation and living donation, for example. Uh, but I certainly urge people to go get informed. Dr. Peralta, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's been so fun to talk to you. And I tell you that we must have hope. And when we think about our healthcare system, understand that compassion is a big part of what we need to build. Dr. Carmen Peralta is the chief medical officer at Cricket Health. She co-founded the Kidney Health Research Collaborative at University of California, San Francisco, and the San Francisco VA. If you'd like to learn more about kidney health and preventative medicine, we'll include a link to the CDC page Dr. Peralta recommended in our show notes. Solvable is produced by Jocelyn Frank. Research by David Ja. Booking by Lisa Dunn. Editing help from Kishel Williams. Our managing producer is Sasha Mathias. Our executive producer is Mia LaBelle. I'm Ronald Young Jr. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>